Turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 35. And so as we stand at the reading of God's word, let's hear his word to us this morning. Numbers 14, 1 through 35. If you're looking for your pew Bible, it's page 87. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and that your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall they see any of those who rejected, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings which the children of Israel murmur against me. 
Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have murmured against me shall fall in this wilderness, and all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Let's pray. Father, we're, uh, we're humbled at the mighty power of your hand. We're humbled by your great holiness that you hear and see all that we have been doing this past week, all that we are thinking right now. And Lord, it matters to you. And you're a God of great holiness and of great forgiveness. May we have hearts that are ready to be spoken to. May our attitudes be changed by the reading and the preaching of your word. And Lord, may we know that you are indeed a great and merciful God for having been here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your attentiveness and your patience and your willingness to listen to the Word of God as Chris read it to us. Today we're beginning a brand new sermon series, uh, a summer sermon series, if you will, a series that we're calling Attitude Check, replacing wilderness attitudes with promised land attitudes. Now be honest with me, parents, perhaps even grandparents, how many of you have kids that need an attitude check? How many of you have teens that need an attitude check? I, I see one hand, I see two, I see three, four, five, there we go. Yes. But what we're going to see in this series, that it's not just kids, it's not just teens, but really, let's be honest, everyone needs an attitude check. In fact, whether you're from a teen, I mean a child to a teen, to a young adult, to a middle-aged adult, to a senior adult, we all need to take time before God Almighty and do an attitude check. In other words, we need God to let himself do an attitude check on us. And that's what our goal is in this series. For the summer, we're going to do an attitude check. But this attitude check comes from God. You know, there are so many things in life that you cannot control. Have you figured that out by now? We can't control if the Royals are, will play in the World Series again, can we? We hope they will. We hope they beat the Cubs today. Amen. But we can't control if they're going to Playing the world. So we cannot control if the Chiefs gear up for spring training. I mean, not spring training, but for fall. Uh, you know, what is it? Not train. Spring training is called, uh, yeah, mini camps and whatnot. We can't even control if they're going to be good enough to make the, you know, the playoffs. We can't control the car in front of us who's driving slow in the fast lane. Can't control it. We can lay on our horn all we want, but we can't control that. We can't control the people you work with. You can't control the people you live with as much as we try. So many things we can't control, but the one thing we can always control is our attitude. In fact, you can always choose your attitude, and sometimes it is the only thing you can choose at that moment in life. As Viktor Frankl once said, a Nazi death camp survivor, 
Everything can be taken away from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms. And that is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. For example, do you ever find yourself kind of just down and discouraged a little bit? And you really don't know why. You're kind of thinking about it, trying to think, meditate on it. But you just don't know, why am I feeling so down and in the dumps a little bit? Does that ever happen to you? I mean, for you're in, going through life and you're like, man, everything is going great. I love living here. I love my, my job. I love my family. I, I just, I love my life. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't love any of that anymore. In fact, life stinks about now. And unexpectedly you find yourself down and a little discouraged and you're asking, man, what happened? Is it, maybe it's the weather, is it my spouse, is it the kids, is it my job? No, it's my attitude. The one thing you can always control in life. The one thing that makes a big difference in life. And so here's, so here, who here needs an attitude check? We all do. Check this out, here's the power of attitudes. Notice in your notes here coming up on the screen, our attitudes can turn our lives into a desert wilderness experience. Our attitudes can turn our lives into a desert wilderness experience. What do the Sahara, the Mojave, and the Gobi all have in common? They're all deserts. Five harrowing days after becoming stuck on a remote backcountry road in Death Valley National Park in August 2009, Alicia Sanchez lay down next to her Jeep Cherokee and she prepared to die. Then she heard a voice. I called as I approached, asking if she was okay, wrote the ranger Amber Natras in a park report. She was waving frantically and screaming, my baby is dead, my baby is dead. In the SUV, Amber found Sanchez's lifeless six-year-old son Carlos on the front seat. She told me they walked 10 miles but couldn't find any help and had run out of water and had been drinking their own urine. Natteris wrote, she turned down a wrong road. Natteris said in a recent interview, it's hard to appreciate what 120 degrees is like and how quickly you can get into trouble if you are exposed to it for any length of time, said Scott Wainick, chief ranger for the Pacific West region of the National Park Service. The park map is dotted with names suggesting the danger, such as Dead Man Pass, Coffin Peak, the Funeral Mountains, and the Devil's Golf Course. Welcome to the desert wilderness. A lousy place to live and a devastating place to get lost. I would guess that most of us here have never lived in a desert wilderness before, at least not a physical de wilderness desert. But how often do we live in a, in a spiritual desert because of our attitudes? And what we're going to see throughout this series is that our attitudes have the power to make life seem like a desert wilderness. Now, for the children of Israel, their attitudes, as you saw in the passage that Chris read for us, their attitudes actually caused them to live in a desert wilderness for 40 long years. The children of Israel were on the edge of the promised land, ready to possess what God had promised them. to them. And yet, because of their attitudes, their negative attitudes, their wrong attitudes, they forfeited that very opportunity to enter the promised land, and they died in the desert wilderness. And if we are not careful, we can end up just like the children of Israel, wandering around in the desert wilderness instead of enjoying God's best in the promised land, all because of our attitudes. So how can we avoid this? How can we avoid the same mistakes that the children of Israel made? How can we make sure we are choosing the right attitudes for promised land living? Well, it all begins. It all starts with a simple attitude check. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take an attitude check, and then in the remaining series each Sunday we're going to do an attitude check and we're going to look at replacing a negative attitude with a positive attitude and so this whole series is about doing an attitude check from the Lord so let's look at it why everyone here all of us need 
an attitude check. Number one, attitudes are a big deal to God. Attitudes are a big deal to God. Now, you may be tempted to think that our attitudes are just not that important. That what really, really, really matters to God is my actions, my behavior. But if you think that, you would be wrong. True, our actions are a big deal to God. God does, he is concerned about our behavior, our, our externals, our actions. But our attitudes are also a big deal to God. In fact, what we find here in Numbers chapter 14 is one of the most radical things that God ever did in response to his people's attitudes. It settles once and for all where attitudes are on God's list of priorities for our lives. And, and for those of you who may not know the story, maybe you're not familiar with the story, here's a summary of what happened. The children of Israel left Egypt. You may, may recall, if you've seen the movie Ten Commandments, they're in Egypt, they're slaves, they're in bondage to Pharaoh, and Moses comes along, and they left Egypt, and he leads them out of the Promised Land, and they journey to the very edge of the Promised Land. And the journey took about 18 months, and it covered more than 300 miles with more than 2 million people. In fact, 12 of those 18 months were spent at the base of Mount Sinai where Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God and some of God's other laws. And so 12 of the 18 months are right there. They're camped out at the base. The children of Israel were on the edge of this land flowing with milk and honey, as God calls it. And, and that just means that it's a really cool place to live. A land flowing with milk and honey. That means in that day and age, that's where you want to live. You want to be there, not here. And there they were. They are finally ready to enter the land that God had promised them. And God tells them they're not going in. In fact, God tells them that they must go back into the desert and wander around until everyone over the age of 20 dies. And if you're like me, you're thinking, man, no way. No way God would say that. That is such a radical move, isn't it, to kill off an entire generation of people. Why would God do such a radical thing to his own people? After all, God never gets angry without a, a good reason. God doesn't just lose it and then wonder what happened. Well, the reason God did such a radical thing to his own people here all comes down to attitudes. Attitudes are a big deal to God. Attitudes are not a small issue and not a small thing. And exhibit A of this truth, that attitudes are a big deal to God, are the children of Israel here in Numbers 13 and 14. Numbers 13, if we back up one chapter, records the expedition of the 12 spies that were sent into the promised land. They were to check it out. They were to spy out the land. And they were to bring back a report so the people would have the faith in God to conquer the land. But ten spies came back full of fear, and they started whining about all the obstacles that they would have to face. They started whining about the, the giants that they saw, and they were just complaining, hey, there's no way we can take this land. We, we will be defeated. But Joshua and Caleb, they came back with a minority report full of faith and full of confidence in God Almighty. And how did the people respond to this faith report of Joshua and Caleb? We'll notice in Numbers 14.10. And all the congregation said, let's stone them with stones. Well, that's a great way to respond, isn't it? Let's just stone them with stones. And how did God respond to the people's wrong attitudes? Well, if you look in your Bibles to verses 11 and 12 of Numbers 14, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs? In other words, with all the miracles that I have done for them, that I have shown them my power, I have shown them my faithfulness in bringing them from Egypt, out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, one miracle after another I have shown them. How long? And I, he says, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. That's when Moses then steps in, and Moses begins to plead with God not to wipe them out, and God relented. But God was still upset with the people's wicked attitude. We pick up the story in verse 26, and notice, 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings. That statement always amazes me. We're going to look at that a little more next Sunday. Do you realize God hears us? That statement always blows me away. We think God is so far away. And what we do only affects kind of me. Only what I do maybe affects somebody else who's around me. And when I complain verbally and I, my attitudes are expressed verbally, that only people around me hear, oh, no, 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 God hears. That's just mind-boggling, isn't it? I have heard the murmurings, God says, which the children of Israel murmur against me. And so he says to Moses and Aaron, you say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have murmured against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall be no means you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. In other words, God basically told all the grumblers, they're not going in. They're going down. In essence, God said to the two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, listen, you're going in and everyone else is going to die in the wilderness. I'd say that what God did here in Numbers 14 is a pretty important lesson for us to learn. And that lesson is simple. Attitudes are a big deal to God. And so listen, please understand, walk out of here knowing this truth. My attitude is a big deal to God. My attitude that I constantly display is not insignificant in the eyes of God. There's three reasons why this is true. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen of why attitudes are such a big deal. First of all, attitudes reveal the true person. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Your attitude reveals the person that you truly are. People, oftentimes, they can kind of do a makeover on their outside of their life, they can kind of get their external behavior in order and yet still harbor within their heart negative attitudes. So God, where does he look? Does God look on the outward appearance of man or in the heart? No, we know God looks in the heart because that is where the true person resides. Our attitudes often reveal the true person. A second reason attitudes are such a big deal is attitudes predict what we will become over time. Proverbs 23, 7 states, For as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. So attitudes are nothing more than patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time, which means you can't think in critical, negative, complaining ways without becoming that person sooner or later. People say you, you are what you, you are what you eat. You've heard that saying before, right? You are what you eat. And to some degree, that's very true. But in a, in a deeper, in a, in a more spiritual way, God says you are what you think. And so God is very concerned about our attitudes because eventually you become what you think. Your attitudes in time will predict what you will become. A third reason attitudes are such a big deal is attitudes affect our relationships. Attitudes affect our relationships with people and with God. Someone once said, if a man has Limburger cheese on his upper lip, he thinks the whole world stinks. Well, the children of Israel's attitudes, listen, they were so bad that they thought the whole world stunk. First, their attitude affected their relationship with their leaders. Primarily with Moses and then Aaron. We see this if you back up all the way to verses 1 and 2 here in this chapter of Numbers 14. It says, and all the children of Israel murmured against who? Against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness. 
And so their negative attitude affected their relationship with Moses and Aaron. But our attitudes also affect, get this, our relationship with God. When you study the attitudes of the Israelites, as we're going to do throughout this summer series, they are ultimately, get this, ultimately our attitudes are directed against God. We see this when when God says to Moses later on in this chapter, verse 11, you drop down to verse 11, look at it. God says to Moses, how long will these people reject me, God says. It's not just reject Moses and Aaron now. God is saying, listen, their attitudes are rejecting you. It's the same thing as rejecting me. And how long will they not believe me, God says. We see it again when God says to Moses in verse 27, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who murmur against who? Against me. Now, we know they were murmuring against Moses and Aaron, but God takes that personal as well. God says, listen, when you murmur against other people and against your leaders, it's the same as murmuring to me. It's directed to me. I have heard the murmurings which the children of Israel murmur against me. And so God considers all our attitudes directed against him. That's why God takes our attitudes so seriously. That's why our attitudes are such a big deal. Don't minimize them. This is the first reason everyone needs an attitude check. Everyone here, me included. It is good to stand before God and let him do a check on our attitudes. It is a good thing. The second reason we need an attitude check is we pay a big price for wrong attitudes. We pay a big price for wrong attitudes. With God, there is always a price to pay for wrong attitudes. What price do the children of Israel pay? We'll notice the price they paid in verse 29. Notice this in verse 20. I look at it. It says, the carcasses of you who have murmured against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above. And then after telling them that Joshua and Caleb are exempt from that, that they will enter the promised land, God continues in verse 41. But your little ones, in other words, your children, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. In other words, God was saying, listen, you lack the faith. Instead, what consumed you was fear instead of being consumed with faith in my power as I have already proven to you in leading you out of of Egypt. Your lack of faith, you said I could not take care of your children. You feared they were going to die. But they're not going to die. God says you're the ones that are going to die in the wilderness and I will bring your children And then God added in verse 32 and 33, he says, But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and they shall bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. What an awful picture. Even the very word that is used, carcasses. When you hear the word carcass, what do you think of? Yeah, a dead animal. Just this last week, a couple weeks ago, we had a rabbit dead rabbit in the middle of our road, right in front of our house. Grossed my wife out. She wanted us to go move it. I'm like, I'm not touching that thing. Big old dead rabbit right there. It didn't last very long, but it was a dead carcass right there. Roadkill. Poor bunny. And, uh, but I tell you what, then the coolest thing was, Tyler and I, some morning, we saw these huge turkey vultures. Just, <laughs> I mean, they, that, Bigger, you ever seen a crow? You think a crow's big? No, these are turkey vultures. And they had a meal and a half on that thing. But that dead carcass, and I think of the word carcass, you hear the word carcass, you immediately go and you think of death, not life. And so God is being very intentional here with the wording even. Your carcasses. He wants them to understand. 
listen, you're going to die in the wilderness. You are not going to make it to the promised land. What an awful picture. And how long would the people wander in the desert wilderness? God says in verse 34, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. And so they wandered 40 years, one year for every day, every faithless, grumbling, complaining, attitude day. God was sending a message to the children of Israel then, just as he is to us now. God was saying, I want you to know how I feel about this. Wrong attitudes are a big deal to me, and I won't tolerate them. Verse 35 records God's conclusion on the matter. And let me just add, when God concludes something, there's no changing it. It's a done deal. And God concludes in verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do this to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they will die. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. What God said he would do, he did. And you might be thinking, but God, man, God is such a God of grace and compassion and love. And that is true. That is very true. Earlier in the passage, we saw in verse 18, where it says the Lord is long-suffering. He's abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And so that is also true about our God. And so maybe you're asking, what then would push God to such extremes that he would kill off a generation of his chosen people? Well, this brings us to our last reason why everyone needs an attitude check. Number three, look at it. God says the big problem is murmuring. God says the big problem is murmuring. God declares in verse 27, look at this with me. Verse 27, he says, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who murmur against me. I have heard the murmurings which the children of Israel murmur against me. And so how many times do you see the word murmuring in this one verse? Three times. Three times in one short verse. God says the problem is murmuring. Murmuring, what does that mean? Well, it means to mutter means to grumble or to say something in a low tone or, or kind of under your breath. Just murmur. Murmuring is it's, it's an example of a word, of, of when a word sounds like what it is, such as drip, 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 or swoosh. Murmuring, that's, that's what God hears. You almost feel like you're doing it when you're saying it. In fact, let's just say that aloud together. Murmur. Let's say the word murmur together. On count of three. One, two, three. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Keep going. Murmur, 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 murmur. Now imagine two million people saying and doing that. No wonder God hates this attitude. Listen, God despises it, and he will not tolerate it. This is why Paul, later on in the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, he commands us, he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Some of your translations may say, do it all things without grumbling. And then Paul tells us why in the next verse. Verse 15, he says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, Paul is telling us the reason this is such a big deal, complaining, bad attitudes, murmuring, is because it casts a bad light on our testimony in the world. We are ineffective witnesses then. How can you murmur against God and at the same time proclaim the gospel of God to our lost friends and family? It's incompatible. You can't. And so our attitudes affect 
not only our relationship to others with, within our family, within our church, our attitudes not only reflect our relationship with God Almighty, but folks, our attitudes affect our relationship to a lost world. This is why God takes us serious. This is why God judged it so harshly with his own children back in Numbers, because God was shaping and forming a people where he would be their ruler, and they would be his sheep. And they were to be a blessing to the world. They were to, to share God's redemptive plan with the world. And you can't do that if you're complaining and murmuring, such as the people of Israel were doing. Perhaps you're thinking, but you know, there are a lot of bad attitudes out there. So which attitudes make up murmuring? Well, here's the interesting thing. By studying the events that surround this chapter here, Numbers 14, we can actually discover five specific stories or events that illustrate the attitudes that, that kind of make up murmuring, that, comp, that compose of murmuring. And this is what we're going to do in the rest of our series. Why? Because we all struggle with the same attitudes that the children of Israel struggled with. That's just the reality of it. We all struggle with murmuring at times in our lives. And God still hasn't changed what he does about murmuring among his people today. He judges it. So if we decide to live like the Israelites did, God will treat us like he treated them. Or if we choose murmuring as our lifestyle, then back to the wilderness we go. But you say, there's no desert wilderness around here. This is Kansas City. The closest desert around here, you got to go west. You're right, God doesn't throw us. He doesn't send us into a physical desert wilderness. But he sure does cause our lives to become like a desert wilderness. A desolate, dry, hot place, not unlike a barren desert. Bad attitudes are what make life a dry, hard, joyless experience. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Does your life feel like a dry, hard, joyless experience? Is your life lacking the kind of joy and fulfillment that you so much desire and that only God can provide? If yes, then I have some great, great, great news. You don't have to live in the wilderness. You can enjoy life in the promised land. Listen, you can actually wear those t-shirts that says life is good. Anybody see, you ever see those t-shirts? Life is good and it has whatever you're fond of like hiking, camping, football, golf. Life is good. You can wear that shirt with honesty. Sometimes I see people on those shirts, life is good. And I just want to ask, well, how good is it? Tell me about it. Is it really that good? Man, as believers in Christ, as Christ followers, when we live life according to God's ways, we can wear those shirts with authenticity. But it means leaving behind wilderness attitudes and embracing promised land attitudes. Listen, the reason behind God's actions with the children of Israel numbers is to teach us a big lesson about the importance of attitudes. It's interesting. Paul, he picks up on this. The Apostle Paul, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that whole chapter almost is given over. Paul starts talking about the children of Israel and the whole experience here. And then he, he, after talking about it, Paul makes a conclusion about it. He states something about it. He basically tells us why he records it in God's word for us. Listen to what Paul says. He says, now these things, well, what things? Well, Everything in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In other words, everything that took place in these Old Testament books that had to do with the children of Israel, Paul says those things happened to them as an example, and they were written, in other words, they were recorded in the Bible for our instruction. Whoa. In other words, Paul is telling us that the reason these events are recorded for us to read about today is for our benefit. You know what that means? 
God is gracious, isn't he? God is merciful. God doesn't want us to make the same mistakes his people did back then. God wants us to learn from those mistakes. God wants us to avoid a life of misery that comes with these wilderness attitudes. Is that not a gracious God? In other words, we don't have to go through it in order to learn the lessons. And yet, how often do we go through it before we learn the lessons? God, in his grace, records the stories here for us. And Paul tells us the purpose of that, the reason for that, is for our instruction, for our benefit. And so we should read these stories. We should come to them through the summer months here and with attentive minds, open hearts, and evaluate before God and let him do an attitude check on us. Because, let's be honest, we're no different than the children of Israel. We have the same struggles as they do. God wants us to know that attitudes are a big deal to him and that they and we will pay a big price for wrong attitudes and that the big problem is murmuring. So the question is, well, what's the remedy? How do we leave behind wilderness attitudes and begin to embrace promised land attitudes? Well, the remedy involves two steps. Number one, repent of wilderness attitudes. There's another, believe it or not, murmuring incident recorded in Numbers 21. You don't have to turn there. Let me just tell you about it. But 40 years later, the children of those who died in the wilderness were now finally on the edge of the promised land. And these children, who 40 years later are now adults, they're grown. They knew the whole story of their parents. And they had an incredible opportunity to learn from their parents' mistakes and to inherit God's promises instead of judgment. But they didn't. And God had to deal with them accordingly. And so some of the people became impatient about entering the land. And they started complaining just like their parents did. And Numbers 21, verse 5 says the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Gee, where have we heard that before? For there's no water and no food. We loathe this miserable food. Well, what's going on here? Well, more murmuring, this time in the form of complaining. And notice how quickly God dealt with the attitudes in the second generation. In verse 6, it says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. The words fiery serpent there literally means snakes that produce burning. So evidently, these snakes had a venomous bite that produced a burning sensation in the bodies of the people that were bitten. But notice the people's response to God's discipline. You see this in verse 7. It says, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Now that's repentance. Man, what a picture of repentance we have here. The first step back to God always begins with repentance, saying, God, I'm wrong, you're right. That is at the core of repentance. It's always the first step back to God when we have sinned. God, I'm wrong. I have sinned, and you are right. My attitude stinks. I have no excuse for it. Lord, please forgive me on the basis of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and resurrection. Why is repentance so important? Because repentance... Listen, it's what brings access to God's provision of victory in our lives. The children of Israel, get this, they couldn't get the grace that they needed without one vital sentence. Without saying this sentence, they were doomed. They were going to die of snake bites. They could not get the grace that they needed without this sentence. And that sentence was, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. And they were very specific with Moses. They asked Moses. They wanted the snakes removed. But what's interesting is God didn't remove the snakes. Does that sound like your life a little bit? It sounds like an awful lot like my life. 
Is God letting you feel the weight of all the garbage you created with wrong attitudes and not trusting Him? We want God to remove, so often, this is our prayer, we want God to remove all the hard things in difficult people that we think is the cause of my bad attitude. God, just remove that from me and my attitude will change. But get this, God seldom removes the hard things in the difficult people in our lives that bring us to our place of repentance. Instead, this is beautiful, get this, instead God gives us daily doses of grace to endure those hard things and to tolerate those difficult people, as well as to keep us at the place of dependence on God's grace. You see, God knows. He knows what we often forget. God knows that no mistakes or no snakes equals no sense of need. And no sense of need often equals no coming to God, no depending on God. And so God seldom removes the, quote, snakes in our life. And listen, we all have them, don't we? Don't look next to your spouse. But we all have snakes in our lives. We all have those difficult things. We all have those difficult people. Those circumstances that we wish we were not in, that God would remove, and he would take care of. Those snakes. So what does God do instead? In his grace, he provides relief and healing for our lives. That's what God does in verses 8 through 9. Look at it. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You know what God's saying? If you'll just look, you'll be healed. Just look. If you'll look in faith, you'll be healed. Man, how easy is that? God makes his provision so simple and available. And that's exactly what God does for us, listen to me, not through some bronze serpent now, but through his son, Jesus Christ. It's interesting, you go to the New Testament, the book of John, chapter 3, and we're told that the bronze serpent here in Numbers 21, that bronze serpent is actually a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells Nicodemus in verses 14 and 15, after telling him, hey, you've got to be born again. You want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, born again? I've already been born. How can I come out of my mother's womb again? Blah, 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 blah. I don't understand. Jesus has to set him straight. No, no, I'm not talking about born of water, but born of the Spirit. You've got to be born again. And then he goes on. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is telling us, man, when we turn from our sin and we, by faith, look to Jesus Christ, our sins will be forgiven and we can have the gift of eternal life and we can experience life change in the power of God. Woo! Man, do you have that kind of assurance? Do you have assurance that your sins are forgiven? If you were to die today, do you know for sure heaven is your home? If God asked you, hey, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you answer to God? Just like the Israelites did with the bronze serpent on the pole, if we look to Christ in faith, we can be healed of our sins. We can have the gift of eternal life, and we can experience life change through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. The second step, though, after repentance, is to replace. You've got to replace wilderness attitudes with promised land attitudes. Repenting of wrong attitudes is only half the job. We must replace them with attitudes that are necessary for promised land living. And that's what we're going to look at in this series. Our goal is to put into practice what Paul later writes in Ephesians chapter 4, where he talks about putting off our former conduct and putting on new patterns of living. 
put off, put on. And so that's what we're going to deal with. So are you ready this summer to join? Who's in? Yeah, are you ready to join me in putting off some bad attitudes? I hope my boys are lifting their hands. Jack, are you lifting your hands? Yeah, Tyler, where you at? Darla, myself, as a family. As a family, we're in. We're going to put off and put on. Remember, listen to me. And I know we're, I'm over. I went long today. You guys are looking at your watches. Watches. Who wears a watch anymore? You're looking at your phone. Hang with me. Give me one minute here. Listen, attitudes are a choice. And it's a choice that makes a huge difference in life. I mean, remember Joe Theismann. Oh, some of you are old enough to remember. Joe Theismann enjoyed an illustrious 12-year career as quarterback of the Washington Redskins. He led the team, get this, to two Super Bowls, winning in 1983 before losing the following year in 1984. And when a leg injury forced him to retire from football in 1985, he was entrenched in the record books as Washington's all-time leading passer. And still, the tail end of Theismann's career taught him a bitter, bitter, bitter lesson. In his own words, Joe Theismann says, listen, I got stagnant. I thought the team revolved around me. I should have known it was time to go when I didn't care whether a pass hit Art Monk in the eight or the one on his uniform. When we went back to the Super Bowl, my approach had changed. I was griping about the weather, my shoes, practice times. I complained about everything. Today, I wear two rings. I wear the winner's ring from Super Bowl 17 and the loser's ring from Super Bowl 18. And then he makes this statement. The difference in those two rings lies in my attitude. My question is, do you walk out of here this morning, is this. What ring will you wear? This summer, what ring will you wear? We can either wear the winner's ring or the loser's ring, and the difference lies in our attitudes. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for the example of the children of Israel. Lord, help us to learn from them. Help us to grow from their mistakes. Father, we thank you for loving us in spite of our sinfulness. And Lord, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to be our Savior and Lord. And so, Lord, we want to submit our lives to you. And we pray that you will begin the process of life change in us. We want to move from life in the desert wilderness to life in the promised land. We want to experience the joy and the blessing that is found only in you and your promises. But Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. Lord, we need your son, Jesus Christ. And so as we take the next minute here to simply pause and examine our hearts before you, lead us and direct us. Open up our minds and our hearts to what needs to change in our lives. And may we respond. May we seek you out in your son and the forgiveness that you provide. In your name we pray.